Lord, it is amazing love. We do ask, how can it be that such a Savior would die for me? And to help us more greatly understand that, Lord, we ask that you would give us an understanding of the Scriptures tonight. To understand more of the gravity of the cross. The thing for which we will be rejoicing for all eternity. The thing for which we will be learning of for all eternity. is quite overwhelming and we ask for your guidance now. The ministering of your Holy Spirit to us. And Lord, through us we pray. Bless your people. May your name as well be blessed as we proclaim it. This evening in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And as you are, if you would uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke and the 23rd chapter. Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. When I was a brand new believer just months old in the Lord, I remember hearing a Jewish man mock Christianity on one particular Good Friday afternoon. I remember him saying, or raising the question, what could possibly be good about Good Friday to Christians when their supposed Savior was nailed to a cross. I mean, it had a great impact on me. And it caused me to dive into the scriptures, just being months old in the Lord, to see what was so good about Good Friday. And I came to realize through studying the scriptures that only a Christian can possibly understand the goodness and the greatness of Friday. The cross. And, in addition, that the natural man cannot understand the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. That we have been granted the ability to see, we have been granted the ability to understand. That when he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani, he said. We understand something of those words. We understand the impact. Many of you recognize those words. The pulpit from which they were proclaimed was a wooden cross in the midst of darkness. That was the cry of ultimate loneliness. That is the cry of ultimate abandonment where Christ was forsaken. Three hours prior to that cry, darkness covered the earth in the middle of the day from 12 to 3 God caused darkness to cover the land so that no one could witness the punishment that he was pouring out upon his son and that scream of terror comes when the punishment descended from the father and reached its highest point Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry is the epitome of what hell will be like. To be absolutely abandoned by God. To be eternally separated from God and there is not a living person that can begin to comprehend this side of eternity, the depth of that cry. Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., And he remained there until 3 p.m. And in that period of six hours, he spoke seven times. They're called the seven sayings of the cross. Comprised of just 52 English words. And we're going to look at those sayings tonight. Seven short but oh, so significant sentences. Now, no one gospel writer records all seven. Matthew and Mark record for us only the cry of dereliction. In the remaining six, Luke records three. The gospel of John records three. But none of them, these sayings, are uttered in bitterness or with complaint. So these seven sayings are statements inspired by the Holy Word of God where God called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to write down the words of Christ on this most horrible day which was the day of incredible grace. To encourage us, to instruct us, to comfort us, and to reprove us. The words of Christ from the cross. One thing is for certain, the horrid load of all my guilt was laid upon Jesus on this day. My depravity, my sin, my evil nature was laid upon the Son of God on this Friday afternoon. And in love, he took the place and died and was cursed for all that would come to believe. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would what? Die for me. Now I suggest this evening that the dying words of Christ from the cross provide for us great insight into what Christianity is, who Jesus Christ is, and what it means for us to actually be a church. So may the Lord give us understanding here this Friday evening as we look to the word of God, and we're gonna begin with Luke's gospel because he covers the majority of what was spoken from the cross, and then we will look to the other gospel accounts to fill in the gaps. So let me begin reading Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32, and I'll read through verse 49. This is the word of God, and it reads, Two others who were criminals were were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals criminals who hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So we'll look at this right from the start, and we're going to look at the first saying of the Lord Jesus from the cross, and it's in verse 34, where he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The first saying when he's nailed to the cross, as they raised him up and dropped him in the hole, with excruciating pains comes these words out of the mouth of the Savior, Father, forgive them. Here we see his love for wretched sinners. Soldiers whose faces and clothing were splattered with the blood of Christ. Behind them are mockers deriding him. Those who spit upon him as he passed by. All of them guilty of his blood. He prays, Father, forgive them. They know not. They know not. So surrounded by wicked men, he suffers as a wicked man, and yet he prays for the wicked. This is our mediator, beloved. This is the only man that can serve as mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one that can reconcile sinners to the Holy Father. And here he is on a cross. Now it's not surprising that Jesus would pray from Mount Calvary, Father, forgive them, because from another mount up near Galilee where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he taught his disciples when he said this, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies, he said. Well, here's the one who preached it is the one who practiced it perfectly. Father, forgive them. The one and the only one able 
to lay hold of God's hand and sinner's hand and bring them together as the mediator, the only mediator. Hebrews 5 tells us that no one takes this honor for himself. That is the honor of mediator. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We praise God for our, the one and only mediator, amen. We stand righteous because of this mediatorial work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand righteous because of him. Now, the question is, what does this mean? They, don't, they do not know what they do. Now, this group certainly knew what Jesus had claimed about himself. There was an inscription over his head written in three languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Jesus, King of the Jews. They knew that he proclaimed to be Messiah. They replied, but you're a blasphemer. And he says to the father, father, they're not ignorant of my, of my claims. They're ignorant and I ask that you forgive them because they don't know what the rejection means. They don't know, they don't understand where the rejection of me will lead them. Please, father, forgive them. Can you imagine that? blood-stained clothes of these soldiers, blood on their faces as they mock him and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God heard that prayer. And as you know, thousands that stood on that day and mocked him in a number of weeks would come to saving faith, the time of Pentecost. And for the next 40 years, thousands more would come to saving faith. Because God had granted, according to that prayer, a 40-year reprieve. 40 years of opportunity to repent and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ until 70 AD when the judgment of Christ fell upon Jerusalem, destroying the temple, destroying the city, and bringing an end to Judaism. That's mercy. See, this is Christianity. Christianity and the cross is forgiveness. All of which comes from Christ. All of which can only come by way of Christ. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not. There's the first saying. Notice the second saying, Luke chapter 23, verse 43. He said to one of the criminals, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Second saying from the cross is spoken to a man who inquired of Jesus. This is Christ the king. Here's the king suffering an untold agony on a cross between two criminals. And while he hangs there, he is the one that has power to forgive. He is the one that has power over all flesh. He's the one that has power to give life. He's the one that has power to take life. And here a criminal who was brought to his senses looks at the king of the universe and he said, when you enter your kingdom, please, 
remember me. When? He didn't say if. He didn't say if you really have a kingdom. This is faith in action. This is faith that's been birthed into this man because remember, earlier in the afternoon, both criminals were mocking Jesus. But as this man hung there and he looked at Christ and he heard the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. As he looked at the inscription over the head of Jesus, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Jesus. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. Today. Today, do you get that? Today, you will be with me in paradise. This is Christianity, beloved. This is the cross. A man who is a sinner. Here's a man crucified with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. Did you know that? This man was crucified with Christ in more ways than one. In the midst of many things wrong in this man's life, He says, when you enter in, and Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, as we die together, you will enter with me into paradise. Christianity is the grace of God when a man prays, have mercy upon me. Remember me, that's Christianity. That's the power of the cross. That's what we are recipients of here this day. We've been remembered. We've been granted mercy of his eternal love, provided the ability to see, provided the ability to repent and to believe. That's what was granted this man on the cross. He was provided the ability to see, to believe, to repent, given life. So the Prince of Peace here has provided what only he can provide, and that is peace, pardon, and a promise. And that's what you have here today in Christ. You've been granted peace with God by the Prince of Peace. Pardon all your sins, past, present, and future. And a promise, the future promise of hope. That is the promise of glory. This is Christianity. The king of grace opens the door that no mere man can open to say, today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's what he promises. Destitute sinners like me, destitute sinners like you, he promises grace, glory, and eternal life, not unlike this man, this criminal. Have you asked Jesus, have mercy on me? Have you asked Jesus, Lord, remember me? Do you have the confidence that this criminal had? Not if you have a kingdom, but when. When you enter in, remember me. The third saying that comes from the cross comes by the one who is a provider. This is in John's account. If you turn to John chapter 19, look at verse 26. The third saying is his commendation of his mother. The Lord's commendation of his mother. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, born of a woman, we all know this, presented as a baby in a manger. 
born in an animal feed trough. The scripture says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, and through every stage of life he sinned not. And he did all of this in our place. And from the cross now, he looks down and he sees his mother. He looks to the side of his mother and he sees the only disciple that is standing at the cross and it is the beloved disciple, John. And here in the agony of death, under the penalty of sin, enduring the wrath of the Father, he fulfills, and as he is fulfilling, all of his covenant engagements on this day. He's fulfilling it all as our guarantee. He's accomplishing eternal security for all who have ever believed and all who will ever believe. And in the midst of all of that, the weightiest responsibilities ever given to any man, he, in the midst of it all, looks down upon Mary and he puts her under the care of John. He's both our representative here and our example. He fulfilled all, up, all righteousness. He upheld every aspect of the law entirely and perfectly, beloved. And here, in keeping with the command to honor one's parents, he's concerned about Mary as he's bearing your sin. As he's bearing my sin, he makes provision for Mary. He puts her under John's care and puts John under hers as a son. Woman, behold your son. He wasn't referring to himself. He's pointing to John. Woman, behold your son. And to John, behold your mother. Jesus is thinking of her pain, not his. And now he's determined to spare her any further anguish. So John, it says, at that very hour, took her away to his own home. Now, if we were to back up 33 years from the cross, we would be in the temple on the eighth day where Jesus is circumcised, where Mary and Joseph bring baby Jesus before Simeon. And Simeon rejoices to see the promise of his salvation. Jesus. You've let your servant go in peace because he was able to see the Prince of Peace. He said this, Simeon said this on that day to Mary, Luke chapter 2, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's what she experiences at the foot of the cross. The sword now through her soul as she sees her dear son hanging on Calvary's cross as a criminal. And here Jesus comforts her in her time of need. This is what it is to suffer in patience. This is what it is to serve the family of Christ. This is what it is to lay down one's life for your friends. This is what it is to give. This is what it is to provide. This is what it is to, to care for your beloved ones. So the spirit of Christ for us says in us and through this, this is my mother, this is my father, this is my sister, this is my brother. This is the family of Christ. 
That's Christianity. And that's Christ at the cross making provision, commending his mother. The fourth saying from the cross is perhaps the most moving. It's the deepest. It's certainly the hardest for us to grasp. We have no idea the depth, the depth of what he says. And this is what I think we will be rejoicing over for eternity. Coming to grips with this. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ from the cross. He's experiencing the depth of hell on the cross. In your place. It occurred like this. After three hours on the cross and a circus-like attitude of all those that surrounded the cross, mocking him, spitting upon him, railing against him, in the midst of the unbelievable hardness of heart of man, God descends upon Calvary and upon all the land in darkness. Suddenly, Everyone at that point knew something's going on here. It's not a circus now. It's not so funny now. Midnight. At midday, as Luther called it. At the end of those three hours, in the depth of the darkness, a voice cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what does that mean in terms of Christianity and a loving God who cares? That's the question. Jesus is forsaken by the Father. Representing you and me who've spent our lives forsaking him. (laughs) Amen? Forsaken by the Father. This is what we deserve. Beloved, he's a real substitute. This is real substitution. We're not talking about types and symbols here. This is real. This is reality. This is the most extraordinary event in all of history, the cross of Calvary. Period. Nothing comes close. This is our passion as Christians because this was his passion. He's a real substitute. He's a real, true sacrifice. He died in the stead of his people. He suffered the depth of darkness in hell for his people. This is what you've been saved from. The wrath of God. God's lovely, gracious, beautiful, perfect, glorious son in human flesh laid down his life, body, soul, and spirit. The sin was real. He who knew no sin became sin. He was made sin for us so that we might be made what? The righteousness of God. That's the great exchange. The transfer was real. Our sin was literally assigned to him. His righteousness literally assigned to us. Imputation. There was no way of transferring our sin without transferring its penalty. And the penalty is the full-bore wrath of the Father. That's the cross. That's Christianity. The guilt was real. 
all of which was heaped upon the Lord Jesus Christ when the transfer was made. All of your guilt, all of my guilt, the guilt of the soldiers, he literally became sin, having never sinned on this Good Friday afternoon. So the abandonment was real. He was crucified outside the gate. He was crucified outside of the city. Hebrews 13 tells us Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Out. Cast out into darkness. Forsaken by God as our substitute, he was made a curse. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. A real crown of thorns upon his head, representing the curse spoken by God to this earth. Thorns and thistles, a result of sin. And his bow, his brow bore those thorns. So he shed his blood outwardly in order to give us life, eternal life, inwardly. So not only was Christ's blood shed for us, his blood was also shed for God. Get that? His blood was shed for us and his blood was shed for God. Hebrews 5, Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to who? To God. Sacrificed by God for God on our behalf. That's the cross. This is Christianity. This is foreshadowed way back at the Passover, remember? When the Jews would slay the lamb, they were to take his blood and put it on the doorpost and on the door lentil. And Moses said, when God pass, when he sees the blood, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over. His judgment will pass over. And when Christ looks at you, he sees the blood of his son. So he passes over you in judgment because of Friday. He bore the judgment. He bore the wrath. He bore the darkness. He was cast out. He was crucified. He suffered separation so that you never, ever will taste it. You'll never taste death. This is the good news. You will never have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because your sins were dealt with by God. Placed upon God. All for the glory of God. He experienced hell so that you never have to go to hell. He experienced separation from the Father. He experienced this darkness. He experienced being completely forsaken by the Father so that you never will be. That's Friday. That's what's good. That's what's good about Friday, beloved. That's what's glorious about the cross. Everything in terms of sin was laid upon him in separation of the Father. When Jesus was in the garden sweating blood, he wasn't concerned about the physical pain he would suffer, beloved. He was concerned about this, being forsaken by the Father. Having never experienced, we're talking perfect, holy union with his Father for all eternity. In eternity past, before the foundation of the earth, when he determined to do this, 
and then becoming a man like us to bear it as a man. He said, Lord, if Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it be. But if not, nevertheless, not, your, not my will, but yours be done. May your will be done. And he was forsaken. That was the will of the Father. He experienced hell on the cross. This is the awful doom that awaits all those that are not in Christ, beloved. That's what 2 Thessalonians 1 says. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That is banishment. Banishment from his presence. That is what those who reject Christ will hear. Depart from me. Jesus was banished from the Father. But he says to you today, all who are in Christ, I will never what? Leave you, I will never forsake you. Because he was forsaken. In your stead. He made atonement on the cross so that we could be with him forever. That's the gospel. That's the greatest message ever heard by man. The Lord Jesus Christ took upon himself that which belongs to me, this damnation, to be forsaken by the Father. That's what I deserve. He bore it in my place. So as God, Jesus cried out with the very word of God. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's crying out of Psalm 22, the opening verse. Prophetic words of God spoken about the Son of God who would be forsaken by God so that you will never have to face such darkness. And then out of this darkness comes the fifth saying from the cross, John chapter 19, verse 28. In the midst of his agony, the shortest of the seven cries, he simply says, I thirst. I thirst. Bearing our sin, bearing our shame, bearing the Father's wrath. In the midst of it all, he reminds us, beloved, of this. He was a man. Yes, he was God, but he was also a man. And he suffered thirst. A real man. The word became flesh. He tabernacled among us. He upheld the word of God, the law of God perfectly for us. And then he laid down his life in our place. This is the only word that expressed his physical pain. Did you know that? This is it. I thirst. Psalm 22:15 says my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to my jaws, clings to the roof of my mouth, parched. He suffers thirst on the cross physically, but also, beloved, he suffers thirst in a spiritual sense. Just like the man who was cast into hell in Luke 16, he says, Father Abraham, I'm in the depth of sorrow and in suffering in this darkness. Send your servant Lazarus just to dip his finger and just just put a drop onto my tongue. That's hell. He's been forsaken. His soul thirsts, beloved. Darkness, death, and thirst are what the Bible calls hell, outer darkness, and the second death. This is what he suffers in your place. All express the horror of exclusion from God. 
Physical thirst, yes, but much more so spiritual. He thirsted so that we could thirst after him, beloved. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and what? And drink. He's the living what? Water. Now there's some who would give him sour wine. Wine, scripture says, mixed with gall. Now, some say that it was a common drink of the Roman soldiers and they had it on the sites of crucifixions and they would drink out of this jar and that they, in a merciful act, were giving some to Jesus to use as a kind of painkiller. I think it's unlikely. I don't believe that this was a gesture of of kindness, but one of mockery. Gall was poison. It's poisonous. Psalm 69, 21 prophesies and says for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink now when he was first crucified in Matthew's account chapter 27 they gave him wine to drink and it says he rejected it he would not drink it but here now at the sixth hour they lift a sponge to his mouth again and he now utters the sixth saying of the seven this is his shout of triumph beloved where he says in John 19, verse 30, it is what? Finished. It is finished. This is Christ. This is our Savior. This is Christ, our surety, declaring to his Father, declaring to his people that everything he came to perform has been fulfilled. Everything. Everything. This is not a hopeless groan going, oh, it's finished. No, it's a shout, the gospel writers tell us. He shouted, it is finished. All the while in pain, it is finished. An achievement with permanent results, it could be translated like this, it has been and remains forever accomplished. Forever, amen is right. Forever accomplished. It is finished. I've accomplished the will of my Father. I've put away sin as a sacrifice of myself. It's finished. I've brought everlasting righteousness to all that I came to save. I've put an end to the law. An end to the law. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone who what? Believes. He came to save his people. Beloved, his people are saved. It is finished. He came to glorify the Father. The Father's been glorified in the Son. He came to fulfill all the prophets and everything that they foretold. The prophets have been fulfilled. He came to fulfill all the types and shadows. Types and shadows, they've been fulfilled. He came to fulfill the law. The law's been fulfilled. He came to bear the wrath of the Father. The wrath of the Father, it's been fulfilled. Eternal redemption, finished. Judgment, sin, wrath, righteousness, fulfilled. Justification, fulfilled. Sanctification, fulfilled. Glorification for the saints, fulfilled. It's as good as done. That's what Romans says. It's as good as done. It's all speaking in past tense terms. You're glorified in Christ. Only he could say it is finished. 
That's Christianity, beloved. That's the cross. It is finished. And then the last words to come out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's hill. Saying number seven, this is final surrender, Luke 23, verse 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now it's interesting to note that none of the gospel writers say that Jesus died. Right? It doesn't say and then he died. Because, beloved, death did not seize Jesus Christ. Death was swallowed up by Jesus Christ. Death did not take Jesus. Jesus gave himself over to death so that you would have life. He was in control. He was always in control. He always has been. He always will be. Mark, he records that Jesus breathed his last. Matthew says he gave up the spirit. John says he bowed his head and then gave up the spirit. Luke, as we just read, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, I am your servant who has fulfilled my task. It is finished. I commit my spirit to you. So he did what the, only the one who gives life and takes life away can possibly do, and that was give himself over to death because he's eternal. He's God. You can't kill God. He has to give himself to death. He breathed out the spirit here with complete command of the situation at hand. This is the cross. He determined the time. He determined the place. He determined the manner of his departure. And he conquered sin and death on the same day. Swallowed up in victory. All that the Father gave him to do, he accomplished. He said it is finished and then he gave up the ghost. And then to demonstrate the acceptable nature of his sacrifice on the cross, Matthew records for us that Jesus, when he cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Not from the bottom to the top, but from God to man. The curtain was torn asunder. The veil in the temple that separated that outer sanctuary from the inner sanctuary, the veil of the temple, which was about six, eight inches thick, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. No one can enter the holy of holies but the high priest, but once a year, once a year, he had to atone for his own sins and then atone for the sins of the people. That veil of separation was an emblem of the inaccessibility of man to God. And when Jesus died, he ripped it in two. Bold access now to the throne of grace. Bold access to the mercy seat through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because of this sacrifice. This is the cross. This is Christianity. Because our great high priest atoned once. And forever. Once. It's over with. 
So now because final and ultimate atonement has been made by Christ, separation therefore is done away with. He is the only access to the Father. And if you're here today, my dear friends, and you do not know this glorious almighty God, you can only know him through the Son who provided himself as the door of access to the Father. Direct access. So everything here necessary for the glory of God was fulfilled when Jesus said it is finished. Hebrews 10 tells us that when Christ offered, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. It's really finished. It's really finished. Nothing else has to occur for his second coming, beloved. Nothing. He will come like a thief in the night. I don't think it's going to be May 21st. (laughs) He does say no man knows the hour. He sat down and he entered into his rest. And thus, believers, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our Sabbath rest. He is our rest. That, beloved, is why Good Friday is so good. It's good. So if you don't know him, the only way you can come to him is humbly through the cross, knowing that you deserve only judgment, while at the same time knowing that all you can plead is mercy. Mercy. You're guilty, like everyone else in this room. And in desperate need of his mercy, he makes provision. He provides forgiveness to those who come in humble submission and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. If you don't know him, repent, believe, and trust yourself to him. The mercy seat is Jesus. And you shall be saved from the judgment that is to come. Amen? That's the cross. That's Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, we can say, because of your son, that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We thank you, Lord, for this night a night of sober reflection. A night that could have destroyed the world were it not for Sunday morning. And Lord, we anticipate and look forward to celebrating together the glorious resurrection of your son who laid down his life in our place on this cross. The death of Friday revealed itself as victorious by life on Sunday. Lord, we're amazed that you would love us so much, to do so much, that we praise you. We thank you. And Lord, as your word says, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen.